Again, we'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bowels, the bowels of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren was born seven. The barren has born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nolan. So for those of you who are new, last week we started a new series uh, that's going to take us through a good portion, at least of the the first part of the year, called The Gospel and the Life of David. And so as we go through 1 and 2 Samuel, not only are we going to see just a very human perspective of what it looks like to walk with God because of all the triumphs and failures of David's life, Uh, but also the life of Jesus will make a lot more sense because Jesus didn't just show up out of nowhere on the stage of human history, but there were a lot of things that led up to Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus did and who he was was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And so as we read about the life of David, um, our understanding of who Christ is and what it means to be united with him uh, will make a lot more sense uh, for you guys. So Um, As we saw last week, the life of David, it didn't begin with David, but it began with a prayer. It began with the prayer of this amazing woman named Hannah, who was, she was marginalized, she was culturally oppressed, and she pleaded with God uh, for God to give her a son. Now, God answered her prayer. He gave her Samuel. Samuel will go on to lead Israel and then eventually anoint King David. And so, what you just heard read from Nolan was, this is the song that Hannah lifts up to God after he gives her Samuel. And now this song is rich. We could spend a number of weeks. We're actually going to spend two weeks on it. And even then, we're not going to be able to cover everything. But here's the thread that we're going to see in Hannah's song today, because this is the main theme that's in there. And it's this. It's God is for the little people. God is for the little people. He loves the little people. He hears the little people. He draws draws near to the little people. And I'm, I'm not... When I say little, I don't mean literally little, although he does love the children too, okay? But literal in terms of, right, status, right, um, sig- significance, at least as far as the world sees these things. So God is for the little people. That's just the one main thing we're going to see from A to Z in this song that, that Hannah lifts up. And so first what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through Hannah's song and see, okay, so how is God for the little people? And then we'll look at, okay, because God is for the little people, how does, how does that compel us as little people who've been saved by grace to care for the little people in our lives. Okay, so first let's just look at uh, how is God for the little people? How does Hannah portray this in her song? And so when Hannah goes 
to pray, what she's doing is she's thinking about how the fact that her, an excluded, vulnerable woman, was heard by this great God. So she's thinking about how God heard and drew near to her. And then she, she also looks back through Israel's history and how God uses the little people in her, in her nation's history. And then, and so what she does is she discerns a pattern to God's salvation. And so hear, hear what she says. She says in verse four, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Verse five, those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. Those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, right? But she who has many children is forlorn. Then verse eight, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. And then verse nine, for it's not by might that a man shall prevail. So she says, here's how God works. He works through weakness, not, not through strength. He works through poverty, not through wealth. Right? He works through the powerless, not the powerful. God is for the little people. Okay? This, is how, this is who God loves. This is who God works through. And then she goes on to say in verse 10, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So at this time that Hannah is praying this, there's no king in Israel. So what she's doing is she's inspired by the Holy Spirit and she's looking ahead. She's looking ahead. First, she's looking ahead to King David because her son Samuel is going to anoint King David and David, empowered by God, is going to unite Israel, bring a lot of peace and prosperity to the nation. But she's not just looking at King David. She's looking far beyond King David to somebody else. Because centuries later, there is another woman. She's poor. She's excluded from her community because she gets pregnant when she's not married. And her name's Mary. And she, she sings a song that's inspired by Hannah's song. We, we prayed it during our call to worship. It's called the Magnificat okay, in Luke chapter 1. And you'll notice that Mary's song is very similar to Hannah's. So Hannah starts off with, my heart exalts in the Lord. Okay, Mary's song starts with, my soul magnifies the Lord. And then Mary goes on to say things like, God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent, he has sent away empty. Okay, sound familiar? Same themes. And so what Mary recognizes, it's amazing, is she sees that Hannah was her forerunner and what's happening with her as she's pregnant with Jesus Christ is she's, is she's seeing that she's actually the culmination with Christ in her of God's salvation plan. And when you look back at Hannah's prayer in verse 10, when he says, exalt the horn of his anointed. So that word anointed is, is Hebrew for the word Messiah, which the Greek renders as Christ. Okay? Now, when Jesus came into the world, no one thought he was Israel's great deliverer. Nobody thought he was the world's great deliverer. Because up until Jesus, all the great deliverers that, that God raised up, what they did is they led Israel and delivered Israel th through strength. Okay, so you think about Joseph through, through wisdom and power. He led Egypt through a famine into a period of abundance. And then he brought his family into Egypt where they could grow and multiply. And then you think about okay, Samson. He used great physical strength to, to break Israel's, Israel's enemies. Moses, okay, through speaking truth to power, he led the Israelites out of Egypt. Okay, Samuel, okay, we're going to see in a little bit, through wisdom and discernment, he leads and guides Israel. So then when Jesus comes into the world and he's poor, 
and he's excluded. Eventually, he's thrown up on a cross. Everybody says, this man can't be Israel's deliverer. This, this can't be the world's savior. But you know what their problem was? And it's the same problem you and I have. The reason why nobody thought Jesus could be the great deliverer is because when they looked at their history, what they were doing was they were looking at all the men, but they weren't looking at the men's mothers. They weren't looking at the women. Okay, think about okay, Sarah, right? It was old barren Sarah who gave birth to Isaac through whom Jesus Christ would come, not young and fertile Hagar. Okay, it was ugly Leah who Jacob found, or yeah, it was ugly Leah who Jacob didn't find beautiful, not beautiful Rachel, through whom Judah would come, who was in the line of Jesus Christ. Think about Moses' mother. Okay, she was completely powerless, yet in faith protected her son, great risk to her life. And that was why Moses was able to do what he did. Samson's mother, she was barren. And then God opened her womb to bring another deliverer for Israel. And then we have Hannah, barren, marginalized, excluded, through whom Samuel comes, through whom David's anointed, and then comes King Jesus. And because God is for the little people, he hears the little people, he draws near to the little people, he saves through the, le- the little people. <laughs> and this is why you and I are able to be saved, is because Jesus, he didn't come in strength, okay, but he came in weakness in order to save the little people. Okay, so think about, Jesus is the culmination of all these women all throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Okay, he was excluded, nobody stood by his trial, Nobody stood by his side during his trial. Okay, he was completely shamed. There's nothing more humiliating than being hung up naked on a Roman cross. Okay, he was completely powerless and vulnerable. And why did it happen? Okay, was, this just a, was this just a sad ending to what could have been a wonderful story? <laughs> no, it's because God is for the little people. And it's because Jesus was excluded that you can be brought into God's family. It's because Jesus Christ was poor that you can be rich. It's because Jesus was literally thrown into the ash heap that you can be lifted up and inherit seats of honor, which will happen when God renews creation and brings you into his presence. Okay, because Jesus on the cross, he, he took all of your wrongs and was treated as if they were his. So that when you trust in him, all of his beauty and all of his moral perfection, you, you become treated as if they are yours. Because God is for the little people. And so for you, the way you have more joy, the way you have more confidence, is you fix your eyes on the God of the gospel, most clearly displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. Because it's this God and only this God who says, I'm your strength to the weak. I'm your wealth to the poor. I'm your power to the powerless. I'm your righteousness to the sinner. Because not by might shall man prevail. Because salvation is of the Lord. Okay, so first is just find the joy and the freedom that comes through being a little person, being saved by a great and powerful God. Because God loves the little people. He hears the little people.
Okay, and so next, because God is so clearly from A to Z, a God for the little people, the little people, it's who he works through, it's who he saves. How does that lead us to treat the vulnerable in our lives? How does it lead us to treat the little people in our lives? Okay, and so, so first, if you're here and you, you aren't a Christian, we always hope there are people here checking out the faith and who aren't believers in our midst. Just here's a, a challenge to you as we think about this. So um, there's a professor from Oxford. His name's John Gray. He's an atheist. I think he may have actually retired from being a professor, and he's now an author full-time. He wrote a book called Straw Dogs, more recently wrote a book called Seven Types of Atheism. But what John Gray does is, and he picks up a line of thought that began with Nietzsche uh, toward the end of the 19th century, is what John Gray points out, among with a lot of other thinkers, but I'm just pulling out one, is he says, so there, there are a lot of givens in our modern secular culture of how we should treat other people. So, so values we hold to, right, such as every human has equal rights and dignity, right? That's in our own Declaration of Independence, right? We should, we should care for the poor. Those with power should lay it aside to lift up those without power, right? Genders, male and female, should be treated equally, Okay, people of all ethnicities should be treated equally. And what John Gray points out is he says, those humanistic values, they arose out of the soil of Christianity. Okay, like when you look at the cultures that, that most clearly hold to those values of all equal rights and dignity, no matter who you are, that came from Christianity. It didn't come from the Enlightenment. It didn't come from secular humanism. And so it's interesting because what he says is, so if you are a, like if you, if you don't believe in God or you don't follow Jesus, but you, you hold to these values and demand equal rights for all, you're essentially acting as a Christian without acknowledging it because you're relying on borrowed capital. Because a world where every human has equal rights and dignity, that doesn't flow from a premise of, right, we all essentially came from nothing. Okay, there is no loving creator God who made human beings in his image. Okay, so you have, you have no objective grounds through which to say that a human being has more dignity than a rock, okay, or, or a lizard. So I just, I hope that's, that, that's a challenge. You just think about, okay, if you, if you hold to the idea of human equality, but, but you don't believe in the God of the Bible, you just ask yourself, well, I'm not being very consistent. Okay, so just, just a challenge to you all. Um, to, to follow a God and worship a, a God who makes sense of your deepest intuitions. Okay, and now for, for those of you here who are believers, uh, who are Christians, uh, let's just talk about because God saved you and saved me when we were vulnerable, right? Uh, we couldn't save ourselves. He reached into our lives and, and gave his life for us. How does that lead us to treat little people in our lives? And so I'm about to say some things. And it's going to probably cause the temperature to rise a little bit in the congregation. And so here's a couple things I'm just going to tell you all on the front end. Okay, so hear me. These are not political party statements. Okay, these are not political party statements. So no political party has the corner on Christianity. Okay, no political party expresses the kingdom of Jesus in its fullness. Okay, so just be very careful of adapting um, what one British ethicist referred to as package deal ethics, which, which a lot of parties are pushing now. It says you can't work with them, right, or even vote for them unless you hold uh, all the same positions they do on every single issue. Okay, so just be very careful of unthinkingly adapting positions because it's a part of the party that you work for or that you vote for. 
Okay, it has to be the gospel. It has to be God's word, which informs your position on moral issues, regardless of what party you're in. And Luke did a great job um, informing us on that a little bit before confession. And here's the second thing before I get into the actual concrete issues. So know that me, as your pastor, as your shepherd, what my job is not is to tell you all who to vote for. Okay, that's not my job. But here's what my job is, and I'm going to stand before God to give account for this. What my job is, is to make it very clear to each of you how God's word speaks to particular moral issues, and so therefore how God's word gives you a moral framework through which to think about how to approach various issues, okay? That's, that's my job, so I'm the messenger here. I'm simply telling you what God's word clearly says about caring for the little people, caring for the vulnerable, Okay, and so I, I say this with all these things with utmost compassion. And let's, let's continue to talk about it, okay, even after the Sunday's over. So first, abortion. Okay, we, we have to get very concrete with this stuff. So abortion. So I'll say this on the front end. If you have had an abortion, or if you, man or woman, have been part of helping el- someone else have an abortion, there is 100% forgiveness and absolution of guilt because of the cross of Christ. Okay, unfortunately, churches have historically not been places where people have walked through the pain of abortion can talk about it because it's treated as this unforgivable sin. And so they're, they're ostracized and there's a lot of pain. They don't know where to turn. Okay, so, so that's first. If, if you've had one, been part of 100% forgiveness of sins because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay? That being said... A human baby inside the womb is the quintessential case of a person who's vulnerable and powerless to protect themselves. And so to intentionally kill a baby inside of the womb is wrong. Okay, science increasingly affirms that it's a human being inside the womb, but more importantly than that, Scripture affirms it's a person inside of the womb. Okay, Jeremiah 1 talks about how God fully knows you before you were even in the womb. Psalm 139, where David's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, God is intimately involved in people's lives before they're born. Okay, and in Luke chapter 1, Jesus Christ himself, when he's in Mary's womb, is referred to as a baby. It's told what he's going to do. It's, it's his name is given. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about, first trimester, Okay, and, and so a life inside of the womb is, is a human being. And like one of the arguments that pro-abortionists will often make is, well, it's not a person until it's outside of the womb. But with all due respect, that's an extremely dehumanizing and exclusive position. Because what it says is a certain level of consciousness or development is required to be constituted as a person. Whereas God, however, in his words, gives us a much more holistic and inclusive view of human nature, which says no matter how developed you are, whether you have a disability or not, okay, outside of the womb, inside of the womb, you have dignity and value because you're made in the image of God and you have a right to be part of the moral community. Okay, so God's word gives a very holistic and inclusive view when it comes to human life. And so you, you cannot claim to follow Jesus and also readily advocate 
for effective abortion. Okay, that being said, because God is pro-life, that's pro-life for all people, okay, womb to grave. And so also at the same time, there, there is a moral obligation for us as believers to do everything we can to care for women and men and families who find themselves in situations where they have a problematic or an unwanted or unexpected pregnancy. Okay, whether to provide social support, to provide financial support, many other ways of practical support to help them because what's, what's so sad is so many people, when they find themselves in this position, it's not like, okay, when you, when you hear a lot of women who, who have talked about this, it's not like abortion is where they wanted to turn, but they felt trapped and helpless and there was nobody they felt like they could go to. And so as believers, we also have to fight for life outside of the womb. Okay, the scriptures are abundantly clear on that. And, you know, so one of the critiques you'll hear for pro-life people is, well, you know, you really have no right to talk about abortion until you care for women, you know, after the baby is born. But just something interesting, I don't know that that many people know this, is there are almost twice as many pro-life, uh, pro-life pregnancy centers in the United States than abortion clinics. Almost twice as many centers that, that give very practical support to people who are in, just very unexpected and, and problem situations, okay, providing financial support, providing social support, providing childcare and things like that. And most, if not all, of these pro-life centers are run by Christians. So just be very careful in being quick to believe that Christians who want to fight to protect the life of the human inside the womb aren't doing anything to fight for the life of, of those outside of the womb as well. Okay, God is for the little people including the most little who are inside the womb. Okay, so that's, that's abortion. Next, trafficking, human trafficking. Every year, millions and millions of people have their agency stripped away by being forced into labor or sex acts against their will. And it's I don't know, it was just, it was something that this passage happened to fall on today, which is Super Bowl Sunday, which often creates a surge of human trafficking. Okay, it's evil, it's vile, and I know a lot of us feel so helpless when it comes to just the, the sheer magnitude of the problem, and this is inside the U.S. too. Okay, one of the ways that you can take an active stance toward human trafficking is your approach toward pornography. Okay, your approach toward pornography. Pornography is not a victimless industry. Now, are there women and men in porn who do so voluntarily? Yes. <laughs> However, it's, it's undeniable. Um, pornography is inextricably connected to human sex trafficking. Okay, it's, it's undeniable. Okay, and so a large reason why human sex trafficking exists is because there's a large demand for pornography. And so guys, I say this with the utmost tenderness, but just understand when, when you view pornography, at minimum, what you're doing is you're encouraging the human sex trafficking industry because you're showing that there is a demand for people to view porn. And so it encourages human, human sex traffickers to continue to do what they're doing because it's such a lucrative business. Okay, but more than that, because such a high percentage of mainly women, but it happens to men too, are there against their will 
you have no idea if the person you're being aroused by, to put it bluntly, is being held there in slavery. Okay, and even women who show up to do it voluntarily, over and over, I mean, more and more women are coming out and saying this, even once they show up, are then tricked, forced, or coerced into doing acts against their will or against something that they signed up for. It's wicked. And so, I mean, just given statistics, um, over 40% of people, men and women, okay, not just talking to men here, view pornography regularly, okay, so which is defined by at least once a month. And so that means a number of people in here probably do that. And so p- please hear me loud and clear. Similar to how we talked about abortion, the way that issues like pornography continue to fester is because of the shame that surrounds it. The only way that sin can continue to fester and grow and hold you captive in your life is when you don't talk about it with other people. And so know that this church community is a place where you can and you need to come forward and talk about it. Okay, talk about it with the people who are close to you. Talk about it in your small discipleship groups. And I know people in this body will be more than happy to, to walk you through that because it's, it's necessary if God cares for the little people and he saved us who are little people, that we also help protect the little people by our approach to pornography. Now, again, like, like abortion, the church, often people feel so scared to talk about it because of the shame that surrounds it. 100% forgiveness and absolution of sin because of the cross of Jesus Christ, amen? Okay, number three, refugees. Okay, so it's estimated that over 70 Million, let me look at my notes again. Yeah, 70 million people in 2019 were forced to leave their homes due to persecution. Okay, and over 35,000 people every day, every day, are forced to leave places where they've lived and their ancestors have lived their entire lives to seek homage elsewhere. Okay, and so if God cares for the little people, and he does, so all throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament, God says you have to care for those in your midst who aren't from where you're from, so the sojourner. You have to care for those without family structures, like the orphan and the widow. Okay, Jesus himself says, you know, when I come to you, um, it's through the poor and the homeless are the people through which I come to you. And so whoever you do, whatever you do for them, you do for me. And so as, as believers, we have to care about refugees we have to care about immigrants, okay, people who are forced to leave their home. And so here's, well, first I'll say this. This is extremely complex. Okay, so we have to acknowledge that on the front end, especially when it comes to on-the-ground policy issues. This is e- extremely complicated. And I don't even think anyone really knows exactly how to solve it. But here are some principles that we can at least draw from Scripture. Um, so first is that we, we have to care. And especially as a country, um, as Americans, and even as we think about a lot of EU nations who, you know, um, collectively we tend to be very wealthy, we have to think about how can we use the resources that we have, maybe even taking drastic measures to provide refuge for people who are forced to leave their homes. Okay, so that, that's one principle. On the other hand, borders do matter. Okay, so a, a large part of what makes a nation a nation is its borders. And one of the primary roles of a government is to protect its citizens. And so 
the Bible doesn't advocate this. Let's just let all security down policy and let just, you know, anyone and everyone pour in. So what we have to do as Christians, and for those of you who are in policy, as you think about approaching policy, you, ha- you have to think about, okay, how do we um, acknowledge the fact that every human should be treated with dignity because they have God's image stamped on them while also acknowledging the reality of borders? But I think for most of us, it's going to cause us to maybe do some things where maybe we're not comfortable with to welcome the outsider and the little people just as God first rescued us. So abortion, human trafficking, tied to that pornography, refugees, those are just very concrete ways that you can apply God's word to to caring for the little people. And so here are just two closing remarks on that. Um, The first is... So just to reiterate what I said in the beginning, um, so this is an election year, yes? And so as, as you think about these issues, do not just unthinkingly adopt whatever party you, know, you tend to be a part of and go, you know, necessarily go with them on every single issue, again, because no party has the corner or the whole package on Christ's kingdom. What you need to do is start with God's word, which are for our flourishing and for his glory, glory. And use God's word to be the grid through which you view these things. Okay, so let God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ, let that help you decide, okay, who am I going to vote for? Um, What policies should I go for? What's the level of involvement that I should have? There are different ways to be involved. Some is through direct political action, but there's also non-government programs that you can be a part of as well. And this will will probably cause you um, to be not looked well upon by perhaps some of those in your tribe because you align with them on some issues, but don't align, don't align with them on every issue. Okay, your allegiance has to be to King Jesus first. And the second thing is, is whether it's online or in your thoughts or in person, one of the best ways you can be a witness for Jesus Christ, especially in a year like an election year, is refuse to adopt the spirit of the age which says you need to roll your eyes at or vilify or hold in contempt people who hold different positions than you do, okay? So hold to the word of God on all of these issues, but always with gentleness and respect, always with humility. And as you do so, you'll glorify your Father in heaven. Okay? God hears the little people. He saves through the little people. He saves the little people. And he wants us to care for the little people. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that this is the God that you are. Thank you that you saved us who are little and had nothing to contribute to our salvation. Uh, Help us to love one another well through topics like these and uh, give us the wisdom and the courage uh, to to apply these truths to people in our lives um, and to help in any small way that we can. Thank you that it's in you and you alone that we have our hope. And it's in the name of Jesus, our risen and most high King, we pray. Amen.